All right, so we're in a brand new series today called What Difference Does God Make? And I've been excited about this series for a while now, gearing us up for the fall season. And I think this is a question that we all ask at some point in our life is what difference does God make? Maybe some people have asked you that question. If you've been going to church for a duration of time and they look at your life and they go, well, what difference does God make? You still struggle like I struggle. You still go through the stuff like I go through. And, and it, the only difference is, is you go spend two hours a week at a church and I stay home. So what difference does God make? We look at our society. We look at what's going on all around us. The crazy, senseless shootings that happened this past weekend. We look at all the stuff that's going on in the crime, the racism, taking a knee, standing up. What's going on here? All of this. And we look at it and we go, what difference is God making? What difference is he making in our society? What difference is he making in our world? It seems like he's not even there. And so today I want us to look at, we're going to kind of begin today with the foundation of this message, because if you're honest, and if you look around at the people around you, those people that have marriages, or those people that are single, or those people that are coworkers or family, and you really evaluated your life and their life, has there been a difference? Is there a difference between your life and their life? So that's what we're going to be talking about over the couple of weeks. Um, you know, I, I read an article the other day that was <clears throat> talking about this idea that there has been what's called an industry disruption. An industry disruption. Technology has advanced at such a rapid pace that there are certain industries that have totally been disrupted because of what technology has done. Um, how many of you remember these? Look, we'll, we'll, we'll go with it. How many of y'all remember this right here? Who had one of these? You can find out how old somebody is by the format of music they listen to. How many know a Sony Walkman with CDs? Now, before this, there was cassettes. Who had cassette tapes? All right, yeah. When we started this church, we had cassette tapes <laughs> as well. Uh, how many of you, maybe, maybe you're even further than that. How many had an A-track? Any A-track people in here? All right. How, about, how many of you had a vinyl, like a record? Like you had, how many of you are so old, you could only listen to music live? Anybody? Okay. So I'm an 80s child, grew up in the 80s, and then any 80s? Come on, 80s people in the house? All right. 80s and not, we won't go to the other generations, and we know they're other here, but this is my generation, 80s, you know, when CDs started really coming out and becoming popular. I had the Case Logic. Y'all remember the Case Logic? It was like metal, had like 162 CDs in it, weighed 49 pounds. You carried it around everywhere. I mean, I remember those things. You guarded that because it was like $3,000 worth of music in this one little case. And if you had one of these in my little Geo Metro car that I had, you had to make sure it had like 20 seconds of skip protection on it. Y'all know what I'm talking about? My car was so ghetto, so ghetto that I had to have in between the seats, I put a piece of foam and then put this on top of it so it wouldn't skip. Then now you remember the days when you had to actually, they didn't have CDs, they didn't have a CD player in the car. You had a cassette player, you had to plug the cassette into the car. How many remember these days? These are good days, okay? None that I wanna go back to, but they were good days. Then you got your visor with like your favorite 15. Y'all remember this? Constant favorite 15, and then dear God, may you never lose that case logic with 162 because you lost thousands of dollars right then and there. I mean, this is just the way that it was. 
But in the 90s, the late 90s, there's a, a technology that came in and disrupted the music industry. And it was this baby right here. This is an old school, first generation iPod. Who had one of these? Anybody have one of these? Yeah, four of you, exactly. <laughs> Nobody claimed it. They were like, what? No. And their claim was, listen, don't be hauling around them CDs. You can get a thousand songs in your pocket. And that's how they sold us on it. And now, how many of you have music on an iPod or a phone now? Who in here? All right, who still listens to CDs? Anybody here? Get out of here. Um, no, I'm joking. <laughs> Just kidding. I still got CDs too. Two of them. And so, I really do. I got two in my truck. That's it. That's all I think. That's all I own now. And so, this, this disrupted everything. Actually, to the point to where music stores and CD stores are closing because MP3s got involved. Then how many remember this? How many remember this right here? That. That's called a newspaper. <laughs> so I want to let you all know what this is, okay? It's a newspaper, all right? These, these actually were delivered to people's doors. It's how they got the news. Some do. Few do. Because now... There's this. How many you get your news now on your phone or your tablet or some other form of device, okay? So this is, it, did, the, did our desire to want to learn the news change? No. Just how we got it changed. Did our desire for music change? No. We wanted more music. How we got it changed. Technology disrupted the industry, totally changed it. How many remember this right here? This is, this is it right here. How many remember this? That was the place to be on a Friday night, by the way. You knew you were standing two hours in front of that wall trying to figure out what you were selecting with all these other people around you, and you're reaching for the same one, and there's only one left, and you're giving them the stank eye, and you're like, that's mine. Y'all know what that is. And then you get the new release, and you find out you got to have it back the next day. How many know nobody gets it back the next day? Nobody. So I lived in Dallas during this time, whenever Blockbuster was huge. There was like 45 Blockbusters. And I found out that when you get a late fee at one, you can go to another and they don't know you. <laughs> Come on, you got to work the system or the system will work you. So I had like 45 Blockbusters that had late fees at. They had wanted posters of my picture everywhere. Don't do that. And how many remember you had to have it rewound before you came back? It's VHS days. Everybody that's millennials, you have no clue what we're talking about here. But this was it. This was the way. This is how you watched the latest and greatest blockbuster. But then the industry shifted. And now we get it this way. Right? Netflix and Hulu and Apple TV and all these different other ways that we now can get our movies streamed to us. Now you don't have to go out in the car in the rain and sit in front of a wall and choose with all these other people. You can be naked on your couch if you want to be. That's way too much information if that's the case. But you just can be if you want to be. Not that I do, but I'm just saying. This is the Netflix, so it's now streamed. Now you get all of these movies now to your device, and the industry has been totally shifted. Why do I bring all this up? Because I think also in the same way, 
as the music industry and the news industry and the movie industry has all been shifted, I believe the faith industry has also been shifted. Back in the day when you wanted to uh, get good, have a good life, you wanted to maybe have a better marriage, you wanted to have a better family, you wanted to just improve your life, you went to church, you sought God, you said, God, I need you. Because after all, isn't that what God's all about? If you have some notes, I want you to write a couple things down real quick with me. A lot of people think that God's whole design is God is, helps me be good. God helps me to be good. And our faith has been disrupted because now we're learning more than ever before that you don't have to go to God for that. And so things are changing, things are shifting, and if you want a good marriage, then you, you go to God, and if I, I need to change in an area of my life, I go to God because he makes me good. If I want to be a good parent, a better parent, then I go to God because God makes me good because this is what God does. God helps people get good. This is what he specializes in. And we, we buy into this lie that the, the greatest problems in our life, though, are two things. Let me give you these two things. The greatest problems in our life are behavioral and situational. Behavioral and situational. So, so, so what we buy into is if I can just tweak my behavior and if I can just change my situation, then life will be good. Today's message is, by the way, called the good life. It's what we all long for. It's what we all want. We all want to live the good life. But how do we get the good life? Well, for us, we think it's behavioral and situational. So let me give you a, a, an example. You're angry all the time. I'm just tired that I get angry all the time. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to change this anger. Behavioral. I got an addiction. I can't break this addiction. I keep going back to it. I just need God to fix this addiction. Behavioral. My marriage is messed up. I need a better marriage. I need a better spouse. Situational. I hate my job, wish I had a better job, God, give me a better job, situational. And oftentimes, if you think right now, just you think through what you're going through right now in your life, it's probably one of these two. And you've put it into one of these two categories. It's either behavioral, something that I need to change, something I need to get better at, something I need to do, or it's situational, something outside of me that needs to be fixed. But we've bought into this lie that everything is behavioral or situational. But what we're learning, and this is where the faith has been disrupted, is we've gone to God because we believe God makes us good. We think our problems are often behavioral and situational, but here's what we're learning if you wanna fill in the next blank. You don't need God to be good. <gasps> like I just took some oxygen out of this room. Say what? That that was why God existed. Not so much. And we, we have a generation now that is growing up that is realizing you don't need God to be good. If you go to Books A Million, if you go to Barnes and Nobles, if you go on Amazon, the self-help sections are millions and millions of books, especially online. Thousands and thousands in stores of self-help. Seven ways on how to have a better marriage. Three ways to get over an addiction. Two ways to find the man of your dreams. Seven, right? 
And then what it is, here's how you deal with worry. Here's how you deal with your money. Here's how you deal with this. And, and, and now what our society is learning is that if you want to have good marriage or good family or good things, you don't need God anymore. You can just read a book. You can listen to a podcast. You can watch a video. By God Almighty, you can just watch YouTube or Google it, How to Fix My Marriage. And you'll get a ton of things. And, and it's totally disrupting our world. There is a, uh, you know, Christianity, uh, Protestant Christianity is the number one religion in all of America. There is a number two religion that is rising at a rapidly fast rate, and it is the second largest growing religion in America. These people call themselves the nuns or the unaffiliated. These are people that say that they're either atheists or agnostic or do not believe in God whatsoever, but they have a belief system as well. And it is the second fastest growing religion in our society, in America. 26% of people in, the Amer in America say they are part of the nuns or the unaffiliated. And there was a research done by the Pew Association. They did a survey and a research and they asked thousands and thousands of nuns and unaffiliated people what makes a moral person? So if you don't have God in your life, then what makes a moral person? Here's their answers. You ready? Let me give you some answers here. Being honest all the time, 58% of them said, yes, that is being a moral person. You got to be honest. Look at number two. Being grateful for what you have, 53% of them, one out of every two said, yes, that will make a moral person. Number three, committing to spending time with family. Yes, 47% say that is what makes a moral person. Look at the next one. Forgiving those who have wronged you, 39%. Yes, this definitely makes a moral person. Remember, yet again, nuns, unaffiliated, atheists, don't believe in God. You look at this list and you think this is Christian people. Right? Look at the next one. Working to protect the environment. 35% say, yes, that makes a moral person. Look at the last one. Attending religious services. 2% said that makes them moral. That I become a good moral person when I attend church. That's why they're a part of the nuns now. You go on and they say they believe that action is more important than anything else. So this is blowing up in our face, and people are asking the question, okay, so if nuns, unaffiliated, atheist, agnostic people believe all of this, which all of us would say, yes, this is good and right, then here's the question. What difference does God make then? Why do we need God? Well, I would beg to differ, and maybe let's press on this a little bit further and ask more of these questions. Could it be? Could it be that Christianity and following God has a lot more to do with just, than just behavioral and situational? Could it be that God is more consumed with your life than just having a better, good life? Could it be that there's something more that God wants to do? Yes. So we're going to go to Mark chapter 10, and I want to show you a story of a man. Now, by all outward appearances, this man is living the good life. He is young. He is handsome. He is rich. That's top three in every single woman's list right there, okay? 
rich. He is influential. And here's to make it even better. Put icing on the cake. Every single woman in here would be like, point him to me. He is religious. Super religious. He's high up in the ranks of the church. He's influential. He's got power. He, uh, he is the envy of every guy on Facebook. This is his guy. This is him. The Bible describes this man as the rich, young ruler. And he represents everything that our society values. Rich, young ruler. He's money. Our society values it. He's young, so he's got health and looks and beauty. Our society values that. And he's a ruler. He's got power and influence. Our society values that. So he's got the good life. I mean, those are all the things we want. Yet, something's missing. He's got everything from the outside that looks like a man who's got it made, and yet he's missing something. So, he runs to Jesus to try to figure out what's missing. And here's what he says. <laughs> As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. So first off, see, this guy's eager and excited to meet Jesus. I mean, he runs. He's, he wants some of Jesus. Falls on his knees and says, everybody say these two words with me. Good teacher. Good teacher. He asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? All right, pause. Jesus, starting his ministry, starting this movement, he's wanting to get this movement off the ground. A guy who's young, rich, He's got a lot of influence, a lot of friends, a lot of power. He's got everything that you would want in someone that goes to your church. And he comes to Jesus and he asks the number one question we wish people would ask us. How do you sign me up? Like, I want to get in. How do I get in? Like, this is the number one question you would want people to ask you. You're at work and they're like, hey man, how do I get into heaven? Like, you just teed me up. I mean, this is awesome. And you would think that Jesus would be ecstatic, so excited about this guy. I mean, this guy could write a check, and Jesus would never have to worry about money again. This guy's got all the friends and all the power and all the influence. You would think Jesus would be like, what, what? You're on my team? Let me show you the way. But he says this, watch. He says, why do you call me, what's this word? Everybody say it again. Good. Why do you call me good? Say what? I mean, why is Jesus upset that he called him good? That makes no sense. That would be like, if I got done preaching, you came down like, hey, Pastor Josh, man, that's a good message, man. You're a good preacher. And I'd be like, wait, why do you call me good? I mean, I was just, I thought it was good. I mean, I was, <laughs> Could there be something, though, that's going on that we don't see. Could it be that Jesus was trying to get him to find out where he was defining and how he was defining good? Could it be, let's, let's say that the man's standard of good and God's standard of good could possibly be two different standards of good. You know, Let's, let's be honest. In here, we all have really, really hard times agreeing on what's good. 
right? Okay, everybody, let's describe a good parent. Ready? Go. No, don't, don't, I'm just saying. But here's what's going to happen. In this room, we're going to have different people say what they think a good parent is, and other people will think that's not a good parent, right? I mean, all of us in here cannot even agree on what good parenting looks like. And so what's happening is in our society, what's unfortunate is what people are saying is good is not good, and what people are saying is bad is actually good. The Bible actually desi- describes what this is going to happen. And this is what happens in our lives, too. We, we make something that's good, and God says, is that really good? Is that really good? And we have put a good on something that maybe God never put on him. He's asking, where do you get this idea of good? How I many know our goodness is often comparison? How I many know you feel like you have a good marriage when you see another marriage that's like really struggling? And you're like, man, we got a pretty good marriage. And then you go and you hang out with somebody who's got like a really great marriage, and you're like, man, we got a terrible marriage. <laughs> right? I mean, that's how that is. I mean, people, people will say this all the time, you know, when, when they talk about like their goodness, they're like, well, listen, I ain't no saint, but I ain't no Adolf Hitler either. That's a big comparison there. Okay, all right. You know? And it's funny because people compare themselves. Like, if, if my, 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 my two boys, you know, my, 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 my middle son who is nine, my youngest is seven, and they'll wrestle all the time. They're always wrestling, always hitting each other and just doing boy stuff. And they're always, they're always competing. You know, you put them in a little octagon ring and let them go at it. Come on, you know it's going to be a little while. Joel's got some right hooks that you better watch out for. Um, I've gotten a couple of those, and he's like at this level, so it's not good. <laughs> not good at all. Let him and Judah go after it, man. Eventually, They're going to eventually take it out, and I think eventually Judah will dominate Joel. Now let Daddy step into the octagon ring with Joel and Judah. I'd be like, psh, psh. <laughs> and we are done. Why? Because their good is only good compared to the other good. But when my good steps into their good, their good ain't nothing. Y'all with me here? Everybody on the same page here? So when you look at people around you, you go, man, we're doing pretty good. But then when Jesus walks into the ring, he's like, you're like, okay, I'm not that good. Y'all with me here? We serve a holy God who is ultimately good. And then we go, yeah, we're pretty good. And then Jesus comes in and we're like, mm, we're not so much. Look how he says it. Watch, watch the next verse. And this is how I know that. This is, this is, he says, no one is. Good. Come on, everybody say it with me. No one is. Good. Except God alone. Okay, now I know this just hacks everybody off in here. You should be frustrated and you should be offended. You know Why? Because we're a people who think we are inherently good. We think we are generally good people. It's funny, I'll, 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 I'll go and meet a lot of guys that are in prison or in jail, and you know, I'll be talking to their parents, and uh, you know, we'll be talking about the son, and they'll go, Pastor Josh, listen, he's a good kid. Well, why is he in prison? You know, it's just, you know, just bad situation. Or they'll say, they'll say things like, he's got a good heart. Really? Do you want to, like, let's track through this. You really feel like he's got a good heart? 
No one is good. No, no, let's go back. No one is good except God alone. Who in here has kids? Raise your hand. Okay. All right. Let me prove this to you. If you think you're good, let me prove this to you. How I many when your kids start talking, the first words that they're saying is not yours? Yours, yours, yours. What are they saying? Mine, mine, mine. Right? How many in here had to train your kids how to fight each other? Anybody in here? Anybody said, okay, listen, this is how you punch them in the face? Okay, this is, this is how you hoard all your stuff? Okay, this is how you, anybody in here had teaching lessons on how to lie? Okay, this is what, when you get caught, this is what you do. Just look at them in the eyes, look straight. Don't blink, you tell them. I did not do it. And you just, you look fake. You, did anybody in here do that? No. Why? Because your kids are bad. <laughs> and so are mine. No, no, they're such, they're such good kids. <laughs> Please. No. They are sinners. No one is good. And this should offend you. Because you're like, whoa, wait, hold up. I feel like I'm pretty good. God's, Jesus says, I know God is the only one that is good. Let me, let, me, let me prove it. Let me take it another step further. Let me show you another verse in Mark chapter 7 now. Mark chapter 7. He says, for it is from, everybody say this word with me. It is from where? <clears throat> it is from within, within, within. Out of a person's what? Heart. Heart okay? That evil thoughts come. Now, here we go. Here's, here's the problem. Remember, we all buy into our problem is behavioral and situational. It's all external. If I can just fix it and tweak it and We'll get it fixed. And God's going, wait, hold on. Let me show you where the real issue is. These evil thoughts and these thoughts of sexual immorality and theft and murder and adultery and greed and malice and deceit and lewdness and envy and slander and arrogance and folly and all these evil comes from? Everybody say it. Inside and it defiles a person. So you are not good. You are bad. You are wretched. You are unholy. And welcome to our Savior's church where we encourage you. (laughs) <laughs> if I wanted to be told that, I could stay home and talk to my husband. No, okay, all right. So I want, you to, I want you to write this down. Write this down. We are not, this is huge, we are not good people who occasionally do bad things. We are bad people who occasionally do good things. You've got to get this in you. We are not good people who occasionally do bad things. We are bad people who occasionally do good things. When we were created, yes, we were created good in the Garden of Eden. Everything was good. God said it was good, and then he created man and woman. He said it was very good, but we all know they sinned. They blew it. They wanted to be their own God. They didn't want to follow God's ways and God's rules. The enemy lied to them. They bought into the lie. Sin entered in the world, shattered everything. And every other person that was born after Adam and Eve entered into a sin-filled world with a sin-filled, broken heart. If you're wondering why you have an addiction, if you're wondering why your marriage is jacked up, if you're wondering why you are where you are and you just can't get over it, it's because you're bad. And you're not bad because you sin. You sin because you're bad. We sin, and, and 
The problem is in parenting is we try to shelter all of our kids from all of the bad in the outside world and we don't realize that we don't deal with the greatest bad that they're going to deal with, which is inside their hearts. So they're going to go into this world and be self-protected from all the bad that happened around them, but they're not going to realize that the greatest evil that they're going to face is within them. And we got to help them. Come on, is this good preaching? Somebody getting anything anywhere? I will amen myself if I have to. Write this down. Until you see yourself as a sinner, you won't see your need for a savior. Until you see yourself as a sinner, you won't see your need for a savior. Watch this. This is so cool. Watch. So the next verse, this is what it, <laughs> is what it says. Watch what Jesus does now. So, so he's like, man, I'm good. I'm a good guy. Says, okay, let's, let's, let's measure this. Well, how do we measure this? Well, let's go back to the Old Testament. Let's take the Old Testament, uh, I mean, the, uh, the Ten Commandments, and let's find out how you do. Says, okay, you know the commandments? Yeah, I know the commandments. He says, okay, you shall not murder, and you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud or honor your father and mother. Okay, so pause real quick. So these are the bottom five of the Ten Commandments. Everybody know the Ten Commandments? The top five of the Ten Commandments, though, most people don't realize, the top five of the Ten Commandments deal with your relationship between you and God. The bottom five of the Ten Commandments deal with your relationship between you and people. That's what this is. So don't murder. It's a yes or a no, okay? Have you murdered? Nope. I'm good. Okay. Committed adultery? Nope. I'm good. Stolen? Nope. I'm good. So he's going through his checklist, Mm-mm, 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 yeah, watch. Teacher, he says in the next verse, all these I have kept since I was a boy. I did them all. I did them all. What was Jesus doing, though? Jesus was letting him put on display his goodness. All of his goodness was on display now. Look, God, I told you. I'm the man. See, I'm the man. I've even honored my father and mother, everything that I've done, which we know that's probably a lie. But anyways, <laughs> how many know that you're always trying to be good enough? Always trying to be good enough. I've done this. I've done that. I've done this. I've done that. And God, you should accept me because look what I've all I've done. One of the things that I honestly probably deal with the most with a lot of people in our church is this idea that if I do bad things, then God doesn't accept me. And if I do good things, God does accept me. Here's the question that I always ask them. When is good good enough? When have you ever done enough good stuff? And how do you know when you have? If you have been, if your relationship with God is based off of all of the good things that you do stacked up higher than the bad things that you do, then how do you know it's good enough? So you live your life constantly trying to please God, trying to constantly do things for God because you don't know if God's mad at you or glad with you and you don't know where it is. And so you're constantly trying to perform for God and that is exhausting. It's very exhausting. And that's why he, when he's here, he says, I've, I've done all these things I've kept since I was a boy. But I want us to go back to the first question that he asked when he said, good teacher. Look at this question that he asked. <coughs> what must 
Give me these two words. Y'all hear it? What must I do to inherit eternal life? By the way, these are the two words that get them out of heaven. We think it's the two words that gets us into heaven. These are the two words that kept them out. Because he thought that his relationship with God was something that he could achieve. Not realizing that a relationship with God is something that you receive. You don't achieve it. And that should be really good news to you because you can't achieve it. You're not good enough. You can't do a good enough stuff. You can't stay away from bad enough stuff. You, can't, you, you cannot stack up enough of your goodness for God to say, all right, you're in. And, and what the rich young ruler is trying to do is he's trying to tell Jesus, hey, listen, what do I need to do? Give me the checklist and I'll just go do it so that way I can make sure I get into heaven. And Jesus goes, you're totally missing it, man. You think it's something you do. But the truth is, it's what I'm about to do for you. Amen. See, religion says, if you want to just write this down as a little side note, religion says do, D-O. You got to do more. You got to try harder. You got to do this. You got to stop doing that. You got to do, 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 do. And you're always trying to do, and you're always trying to fix, and you're, you're, you're always wondering, is God approving of me? And so I'm doing these things to earn God's approval. When the truth is that the gospel is done, D-O-N-E. That Jesus did for you and me what we couldn't do for ourselves. And so what this means now is I don't have to be do to try to gain approval and gain God's love. I have God's love, so now I want to do. Y'all see the difference there? There's a difference. One is you're doing all these things. You're coming to church. You're giving. You're on the dream team. You're serving. I mean, this guy had it going on. I mean, he was in the church. He was wealthy. He was a great moral guy. Everything was going. I mean, he's doing all of the right things. And he thinks because he's doing all the good things that God must love him. God does love him, but he doesn't love him because of what he does. He loves him because of who he is. And so many people's relationship with God, I'm telling you, and many of you in this place, your relationship with God is when you think you're doing good, God, you're earning God's approval. But can I tell you, God already loves you already. Let me ask you this question. What did you do to earn your parents' approval? To be a son or daughter of your parent, what did you do? Nothing. What can you do to stop being their son or daughter? Nothing. God is not going to love a future version of you. God loves you just as much as he does right now in your mess and in your junk and wherever you are, doubts and all, he loves you right now, right where you're at. And when you understand, I don't have to perform like a monkey, but God just loves me. Then guess what? Now I want to do what he wants me to do. The motivation's different because I'm not trying to earn something. I have it. And now I just get to give it. Y'all with me? Okay. And I think this is so key in Christian, the Christian world because Christians can spend their entire lives. This was me. So I grew up in a Christian home. If you know my story, went to a private school, never smoked, never had sex out of marriage, never did drugs other than a lot of Reese's Pieces one time, which was a little crazy. Um, it's about as far as I got. I mean, I... I know, I'm crazy. Watch out for me. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. I thought 
that my relationship with God was great because I didn't do all the bad stuff that everybody else was doing, and I was a pretty good kid. And I realized that, and this is a lot of Christians, we do this. We can consume our lives so much with trying to not be bad that we miss Jesus. Because we fill our lives with good things, but they're actually not God things. You know who those people are in the Bible? And that was me, the Pharisees. You know that they thought what they were doing was good and they crucified Jesus? All in the name of this is good? Do you know that, the, that Eve was deceived in the garden, not by bad fruit, but by good fruit? Think about that one. The Bible says that the fruit was good and pleasing and right to the eyes. That she was deceived by good. I think more Christians now than ever before are being deceived by the enemy. Not by lewd craziness and orgies and drunken parties and sex and drugs. They're getting crazy right now because they're buying into good that's not God. And we think that our goodness is what makes us right with God. And there's more good people that are going to go to hell than you can imagine. I know this ain't an amen message, but I'm telling you right now, this is one of those things we've got to grasp with. Because here's the truth. Jesus didn't die. Write this down. Jesus didn't die so that you could be a good person. He died so you could be a new person. Y'all with me here? We don't need a good version of you, a better version of you. You got to die so there could be a new version of you. There needs to be a new version. Watch, look, look what this verse says. 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 5 says this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ, he has become, what's that say? A new person. The old life's gone. Okay, we don't need an upgraded version of you. We need a new life has begun version of you. So look at Mark chapter 10, verse 21. Let's keep going. We're going to finish this thing. So now it says, after he did all this, and, 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 and the rich young ruler's like, yeah, I've done all that, I've done all that, I love this. It says, Jesus looked and loved. He looked at them, and he loved them. You know what I love about God? He knows you. He knows you. See, the sad thing about Facebook is, Facebook now is you can portray one way that you are and actually not have to be that way. Like, you can portray to everybody, like, look how generous I am, and actually not be generous. Like, you can look loving. You can look all these ways and actually not be that way. But I love God because he sees right through all of our masks, all of the facades, and he knows you. He knows you. He knows the tears you've cried. He knows the lies you've said. He knows all of that, and he knows this man. He looks at this word, look, is the word examine. He examined him. The thoughts that you've never shared with anyone, he knows them. And yet, <laughs> I love God because he doesn't just examine you and see all the stuff that's going on in your world. He also loves you. This love is the agape love, the unconditional love of God. Look what Tim Keller said. Tim Keller is a pastor and author. He said this, you are more sinful than you ever thought you were, but you are also more loved than you could ever dream you could ever be. Come on, that's the greatest news on the planet right now. You're more wicked than you think you are and more loved at the same time. You're more jacked up than you think you are 
but you're also more pursued, more forgiven, and more loved than ever. This is the beauty of the gospel that we preach. Now look what happens in Mark chapter 10, verse 21. Look what Jesus now goes after. He says one thing. There's just one thing you lack, man. I'm glad you did all these, but let's look at the thing that you lack. He said, go sell everything that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. What? Okay, let's just pause here. I don't know if anybody reads the Bible like me. This guy's rich. He's got money, lots of money. You can do a lot of things in this world with money, tons of things. He says, listen, I want you to go sell all that, give all that away, and I'm going to give you money in heaven. Now, let me ask you this real, real quick. How many have you taken your Chuck E. Cheese tickets and you went to Bubba Ocelet and tried to buy a truck with them? <laughs> how much was that worth? So that's what I'm, how many know that's what money in heaven is? Like you're going up to God, can I get a little of the ATM? You know those treasures in heaven? Can I get a little of that? How many know money in heaven ain't nothing? So, so if I'm the guy, I'm like, okay, wait, hold up. Let me get this right. So what you're saying is, see all this money I got right now that I could spend, I can buy whatever I want. So what you're telling me is you want me to sell all that, give all that away, and come and get money I can't use. Right? Yes. Hmm. I don't know if I'm up for that trade. What, what is Jesus actually telling him, though? See, we immediately assume treasures in heaven must mean gold and diamond and riches and all this stuff. You know what the true treasure in heaven is? Jesus. So this is what he's really saying. Give up all of the stuff that you've put your hope in, all the stuff that you love, and I'm going to give you something that will love you even greater than this. And then come follow me. Come follow me. Look what the next verse says. It says, at this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Think about this. This guy comes to Jesus eager, and he walks away sad. I don't think, it, it's, it's not that he loved his stuff too much. I think it's that he treasures Christ's love for him too little. He doesn't realize how much God loved him. Now, here's, here's the kicker of it all. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus, he does not realize that Jesus is the ultimate rich young ruler. Jesus is in his 30s, he's young. Jesus had all the wealth in the world in heaven. He's rich. Jesus is the creator of the universe. He's a ruler. The rich young ruler came to the ultimate rich young ruler and was asking how to get into heaven. And the ultimate rich young ruler, Jesus says, listen, I left everything to come for you. Will you leave everything to come for me? Are y'all getting this? Jesus was not asking the man to do anything he hadn't done himself. Y'all think about this. You think what it must live, be like to live in heaven? No pain, no taxes, no president, no crisis. No, y'all with me here? Like, good life. The good life. And Jesus, because he loves you and me so much, says, I'm willing to become poor in this life so I can rescue these people and bring them to the good life. And 
But our response is, you know what, God? I'm good with the small life, which I think is the good life. I'm good with this life and not your life. I want you to see this. Write this down. Jesus doesn't want to just be your savior. He wants to be your Lord. Jesus doesn't want to just be your savior. He wants to be your Lord. Now, I want you to imagine this for a minute. Well, let me, let me, let me share this real quick with you. The word savior is found 36 times in the New Testament, in the Bible. 36 times. Savior. And we talk a lot about God saving us and we need saving and God come save me. 36 times though. It's in the scriptures. You want to know how many times the word Lord is in the scriptures? 7,812. So which one do you think God likes to emphasize the most? And yet in most churches, we want to talk about God being our savior, but we do not want to talk about God being our Lord. Because here's how it works. A Lord assumes his position, that he is over us. He rules us. He is our Lord. He is the master of everything. Saving is talks about what he does for us. It's the work that he does. So this is what we're actually saying. What we're saying to him is, God, I don't mind you coming and doing all this stuff for me. I just don't want you telling me what to do. Now imagine this. Uh, in April, Lindsay and I will celebrate 15 years of marriage. 15 years. We have outlasted every Hollywood wedding there is. All right. So... Imagine the day that I propose. I've actually shared this a couple of times. I mean, I go and, Lindsay, you're the love of my life. I love you. I, I want to spend my life with you. I can't wait till we are together. And she's like, yes. And she's excited after she sees the ring. And then she's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's true. I got a video. Anyways. And she's like, yes, baby. I love you too. You are my world. You are my rock. You are my Mexican muchacho, I want everything. <laughs> I want to spend my life with you, bear my children. Will you just, this is not what she did, but I'm just imagining what she should have done. Anyways, so, I'm joking. So, she's saying all this, I love you, I want to spend my life with you, but could maybe just one day a year, I go see my old boyfriends. You cool with that? I mean, just one day, I'd be like, say what? You want to what? Hey, babe, listen, listen. 364 days, I'm all yours. One, I'm just asking, one day, one day I go see my old boyfriends. I just, you know, I kind of, I, I really like them. They're good. How many know that deal ain't happening? It's like, hey, baby, listen, okay, okay, okay. I know, I know that's a lot. I know that's a lot. I'll tell you what. One hour a year. One hour, we'll go to, I go to a hotel with my boyfriends, it'll be one hour, and then I'll come back to you, and I'm yours 364 days, 23 hours of the, that next day. How many know? No deal. Like, you are a one-man man your entire life. That's it. That deal ain't happening. And yet, <laughs> that is what we do with God. We say, God, you can have it all. God, you, I surrender my life to you. You can have it all. I love you. You're awesome. Jesus, you change everything. But I just need a day or two where I can just 
have what I like, have what I want. And God looks at us and says, no deal. No deal. He's a jealous God. And he looks at us and says, listen, I gave 100% for you. And God expects 100% from us. We want Jesus to come and be the savior of it all. Savior of my marriage. Savior of my drunken stake. Savior of my flaws. But we don't want him to be Lord of our finances. Lord of our marriage. Lord of our relationships. Lord of our time. Lord of our treasure. You would never marry someone who treated you like that. Why in the world would we think God would do any less? Today, your life may not be different because you've accepted Jesus as your savior, which was to your benefit, but you didn't accept him as Lord, which is to his. And that's what we have to wrestle through. God, are you really the Lord of my life? Or are you just my savior? I want to end with this verse. We're done. Look at this in Psalm 16. David says, I say to the Lord, you are what? Everybody say this. Let's make this personal. What? You're my Lord. Apart from you, I have what? Listen to me very closely. There is nothing good outside of God. There's nothing good outside of God. No good thing except for when God is Lord. Some of you have been searching for good things and you missed out on the Lord. Can I tell you this though? This is what I know about God. He's so good. Is that when you go after God as Lord and Savior, you get the good things. You get the good life. You get the good marriage. You get the, hey, does that mean those marriages don't go through hard times? Absolutely not. We'll talk about that next week. But, you, but it's good. It's blessed. God does a work in it. But if you go after the good things, most of the time you'll miss God. And what I have found is God has to wreck your world and get you to lose these good things before you turn to a good God. I'm just telling you, don't make it where God has to rip out the good things from your hands for you to find a good God. He's good already. Can I get an amen on this one?